With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So Triple Threat is coming out of the cinema release. What are the major standout features to the film that uh, sort of warrant it being a cinema thing rather than uh, uh, any other? Route of delivery. I'd like to think there's a lot of reasons that make it stand out, but in purely sort of pragmatic and sort of very, very basic terms, you've got a film here with probably nine of, if we talk about it in musical number terms, you've got a a film here with nine of the best dancers, you know, film dancers alive and working uh, of this generation, and and it's very rare that you get two or three of them together, let alone sort of eight or nine of them all on all on you know all in, on camera at one time. My job was to frame that in a manner that allowed the audience to see as much of what these guys can do uh, physically without visual effects, without wires, without stunt doubles as possible. And I think I think that in and of itself is the primary reason, you know, the, the sort of visceral kind of. Uh, action-packed reason why most people are going to want to see this in the theatre. Now, beyond that, I just feel it's a lot better way to see a movie, to enjoy it, the immersive, you know, there's so many distractions when you watch a film at home, you know, from cell phone ringing to sort of going to the kitchen to make yourself some popcorn to, to sort of just, you know, channel surfing, other other things going on, which which disturb the, the overall sort of uh, experience of seeing a film. So I, I always recommend seeing them in the theatre. But beyond all of those kind of things, this it's just a really, really rare opportunity to see some of the you know the best practitioners of their arts all working together, and they they work off each other. If you if you think of it in jazz terms, you know the only thing better than than a solo performance is when you get two people playing together, and they 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 play against each other, and their game rises. Well, if you imagine. We've got, you know, as I say, eight or nine, you know, six of the very best, and then eight or nine on top of that of the sort of very, very best dancers in the game, all working together and all all raising their game together. And it's a really, really exciting opportunity to sort of see something you don't see very often, you know. Uh, 
Well, that's one of the things I liked about it is you do. I think you do have a, a very cinematic way of, um, of, of what, the way you way you draw your films and the way you you create them. So I can see why it is uh, very very worthy of seeing in the cinema. Um, speaking of your ensemble cast of all the top martial artists, how difficult was it to bring all of those guys together? Because I imagine everyone's got different schedules and everyone's all over the place. How difficult was it? to get everyone to come on board and everyone just pile in and say, yes, count me in. And that was it. Or was it a, a process of juggling schedules and so forth? It's very, very wise and knowing question that one. It was, uh, it was extraordinarily difficult. Uh, we had a short schedule, uh, which meant that everyone had to be available at the same, you know, in the same period. And, and they weren't, you know, they, everyone had jobs. They were very, very busy guys. So we had to mesh our, our shooting schedule with their work schedules and uh it was hair raising you know it, it meant it meant uh sort of being you know shooting the film completely obviously completely out of order as most films are shot anyway but some of these big sequences where we had the eight actors all together uh actually nine actors in the opening sequence they had to be shot all to, you know all of those big ensemble moments had to be shot you know over a period of about a week and then you know as we went off and shot the individual beyond that it was, right. it was everyone committed enormously to it Scott Atkins uh, yeah. I think ended up staying an extra two weeks pro bono uh, you know just so that he could make his fight scene even better I mean it was a really it was a labour of love for all these guys uh, I think all of them got into it not really knowing 100% about what it was they were getting involved in and the moment they hit the ground in Bangkok they sort of got a taste of how committed everyone was how much fun it was going to be and how seriously as a movie, we're all taking it because you know there's a lot of there's a lot of films made at the moment which are simply made as product for the international market. And these these guys that we had, you know, they go from movie to movie. Uh, but when they, I think when they cottoned on to how committed we were to making the very very best film, everyone sort of you know started to invest more, and it shows on screen. I mean, there's some really brilliant performance stuff in there, and everyone is enjoying themselves and. Uh, I think everyone had a hand in in creating their character as well. Not in a, not in a way that you know there was no script and they just sort of turned up and invented it, of course. But that you know, but took the script and went further and added their thumbprints to it. And we encouraged that. Uh, you know, it was almost impossible to for one person to really know how to give uh, in the individual idiosyncrasies to all of these characters. So there's a tremendous amount of each actor in his character that he plays in terms of how much they invented and were allowed to sort of freestyle. Uh, and I'm really proud of them. I thought they did great. Uh, Scott and Michael Jai White did some fantastic works, you know, script writing, tweaking. Uh, Eco, we we came up with an enormous amount of his stuff, you know, with, with Eco out there and his subplot and everything was was very much born of meeting Eco and, and his ideas. Uh, Tony Jar uh, obviously has a very, very unique style and that was born out of sort of Tony and I working together on set. So it was a very, I mean, what you're seeing here is I think a unique glimpse uh, of all these guys working together. I don't know if there'll ever be anything like it again, you know? Uh, you know so. It does come across yeah. as a very unique film because it is such a huge cast of the best martial artists currently going and they're all in one film and it also it, uh, they all get a chance to shine and they've all got, they do bring different bits to the, to the party and everyone's got a different character that, Compliment. So, I think it's a, it was a proper um, roller coaster, rip roaring view. So, thank you for for creating it. 
I'm yeah. masterminding it all. Um, what was it like when, when you said they, they all brought their different bits to their roles? Did they? Did, was there a point where you had everyone sit down and rehearse everything together and do a read, or is it not like that? It was just... Uh, uh, it is like that on most movies. On this one, just because of the sheer size of the cast and the sort of scheduling. I mean, you know... Uh, we had, act, you know, a couple of the actors turned up the, the night before we went into the jungle, you know, which was the opening of the movie was the big jungle sequence, which was three hours north of Bangkok. And, you know, on the banks of the River Kwai, it was a it was a, it, a very, very remote and very, uh, you know, hot and humid and sort of not dangerous. I'm not going to go that, that far, but it was certainly unpleasant in certain degrees. And, and that was their first day on the set of Triple Threat and um, their first experience with me. So. Uh, with other ones, I had a chance to chat with them a little bit beforehand. Eco, Tiger, and Tony, we, you know, we, we met before and went to dinner. And I sort of, it was less less about them giving their input at that point than it was just seeing a little bit about what they were like as characters, which is like what is, I, I try to do as much as possible as, when I'm directing is get to know the actor a little bit, not not socially. I don't want to see him get drunk or anything like that, but I just want to know how they are and how they solve problems and whether they use humor and you know those, those sort of things uh or just idiosyncrasies you might say and you you then bring that you know what they feel passionate about what they don't care about things that make them angry and 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 these are things that you can then weave into the character they're playing it's familiar cool. we had a bit of drop out there as well but i can i can i can skillfully edit that together to make it sound maybe, maybe sound intelligent and smart <laughs> Well, you're doing that very well for yourself, so there's no need for me to do anything, and what could I do anyway? Um, so the, then the other, the, the other question, uh, it's a stupid question, because I, don't, I know what the answer's going to be, but did everyone get on fairly well? So you've got lots of very big, well-known stars in their own right. Was there anyone doing that? Hang on, no, 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 I can't lose, I've got to do this. Were any of that egos uh, uh, bollocks, or not really? It's a brilliant question, and a very good one, not stupid at all. Uh I, I, my bread and butter has been these kind of movies, going right back to as a stunt performer. You know, as a PA, I started on Mortal Kombat. You know, the, the that's where I met Dominic Vandenberg. You know, my pal that's worked with me over the years. So I have, I have a, I have a martial arts movies as much as I, they may frustrate me at times and annoy me. And you know, there's so many bad ones that, that make me angry that they're just purely terrible. But my my path and the path of martial arts movies since Mortal Kombat has definitely sort of entwined. Uh, so there is there is always that fear of having ego on set amongst these guys because they train very very hard. You know, actors train hard, uh, but martial arts actors train hard in martial arts often in, in combat in combative sports in, in sports where you are, you know, mano against mano, and, and they, they a lot of them are very tough and they've they've won themselves black belts and you know and, and tournaments and competitions and they have a particular opinion of themselves and you do often run into ego on triple threat there was no ego uh, not any not amongst the nine guys and i'd like to take full credit for it that would be horseshit for me to do that but full credit in my opinion and he will say it doesn't and has nothing to do with it might the full credit for the fact that there's no ego on set goes to michael bisping uh <laughs> He, he, he's a very, very funny guy, but he's also, you know, the most dangerous guy on the movie set. And he didn't allow any any ego whatsoever. So cats that might have maybe potentially in the past or on other movie sets have 
given a little bit of a, you know, sort of a pushback and you know what, I, you know, I wouldn't really lose this in real, you know, you have Bisping there and he, he snaps everyone to attention and everyone's laughing and joking and it's, it became very, very easy going, the, the atmosphere. And uh, I'll be indebted to him forever for that one. It made shooting really pleasant, really quick. Uh, the guys are all great fun. Uh, I don't think we used our actor trailers, so, you know, very much at all. Uh, I think the crew, the, the, the cast basically had their set chairs, and that was basically it. They hung around on set in a, in, in a circle, telling stories and laughing and joking. It was a fantastic, fantastic atmosphere. Uh, sometimes it was to do with the film and what they could do within the movie, but often it would, you know, it was so, it was very raucous. And uh, I think Jijar, uh, who had uh, who felt a little out of place for the first day or two, by the second day, I think someone had grabbed her by the shoulder and pulled her into the ring, and she was being made part of the, the joking story. And it was a, it was a really wonderful, inclusive atmosphere, very safe, very uh, good natured, and and uh, I think everyone had a lot of fun, you know. And, and I think it's very very important when you're a long way from home and you have a lot of potential egos. Uh, and it was very hot. It was very humid. Uh, the food is a little strange. You know, it's not, 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 there's a lot of unfamiliar things that could be difficult. And because of Michael Bisping, basically just <laughs> causing everyone to be on the same wavelength, we all got along. It was all, it was all seen with a sense of humor. And I think it was one of the most, you know, joyful shoots I've ever been, been on really, really a lot of fun. Fantastic. Uh, and, and people got down and did the work, did their own stunts, did their own fight scenes, took bruises, bumps, injuries, and, you know, wrapped them up. Everyone had a feeling of, it being something a little special, you know, which is, which is really, really good. It's a, uh, and it's not always like that. It really isn't, you know, uh, as much as people would like to say that a lot of, for them, it's very much coming in to make a paycheck and they're going to be out in the, you know, you know, 72 hours and really you get them, you know, you get 72 hours worth of their, their focus, you know, on this one, it really felt like everyone was committed as, as body and soul to it. You know, I didn't feel at any point. And I, I, I honestly feel everyone was very upset when they had to leave you know it was uh it was really poignant also that's an impressive uh, set to have been running but as i was about to say that michael bisping comes across a really good character he's a quite um, sort of he brings a different um, level to the, to the whole thing it's uh, I, I thought he might just be a ufc guy who came in and did something for his name but he actually can act and did bring a bit of character to it that he otherwise wouldn't have had on it was he was a, a wise call and a good one. Yeah, he, he was. Uh, he worked very, very hard. Uh, I, th I think uh, Scott worked very hard. I think the two of them were great as brothers, and getting, you know, arguing. Uh, I think it was uh, particularly ballsy of Scott to uh, to take to swear at him and get in his face like that. I, you know, I, I said afterwards, you know, inter interesting that going for him like that because it got it got it got quite violent each time. He said, "Well, you know, I'm a faster runner than this. I, mean, I can make." You know, so it's uh, but we didn't have to test that. Everyone was very, very in the moment and understood it was a movie. But it was uh, there were some brilliant, brilliant moments in there. Having said that, you said everyone got on very well and they had a great time in the jungle. Speaking I to think. Michael J. White last week, he said we had a great time in the jungle. Although when we did the, there were some pieces that you made them do over and over and over and over and over again. And he, along with everyone else, got to the point where they wanted to kill you. Were you aware uh, that that was on the cards? No, no, I never, I never knew that. I mean, the, the, 
the jungle is a it's an interesting place you have to you know you have to it's tough going it's very very humid it's very hot you only have a few hours of daylight because of the thick you know canopy over everything so the pressure is on and what i think a lot of people didn't realize on this one was that if you do coverage on a film with two or three actors that's two or three close-ups and a wide angle maybe you'll throw a medium in there as well so five setups and you're out you know each setup takes about 45 minutes I, I had scenes with nine actors, <laughs> uh, and to get the coverage on those nine actors, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, a, a, a shot is roughly thirty-five to forty-five minutes. You know, you've got one hundred and fifty crew. It doesn't, it doesn't move quickly. You've got a small space, so you've only got enough room for one or two cameras. So, literally, you are moving at forty. You know, your your your, your basic shot coverage now has tripled in many cases. So. I'm sure it wore them out, but yeah, that was one of the scenes with all of the all of the actors requiring coverage. And yeah, it's tough. It's tough going, but uh, I don't think anyone in the movie wants to kill me at this point. So, uh, also, you survived. So um, they clearly they were very good about hiding their feelings, which is good and and testament to their uh, testament to their. Maybe Michael was just saying it for effect, but um, he did say no, the, he did say it with I, a wry smile. I believe him. <laughs> he also said that. Um, so obviously, he's you know, used to grow up in the US and uh, suddenly there being in the jungle, used to working on sets. And said he couldn't quite work out. There was three guys in some yellowy orange suits with each had two sets of them with vans who just hung around every time we were in the jungle. And he presumed they were there for safety or health or something or other, but he never quite knew what it was apart from he presumed it was bugs or snakes. Is they, were they there for health and safety or what do you have any insights into what they were doing if they were there for the bugs and snakes they weren't doing a very good job <laughs> that if you looked at the floor for more than two minutes you suddenly noticed everything was moving i was the only guy on the set that turned up with shorts on and all of the thai crew turned up with long pants and boots on it so you, by the end of the day your legs are scarred up at bites and yes. you love all that kind of stuff that that fuels fuels the creative juices you know uh, no, I've no idea. I, I miss an awful lot. You know, when you're directing, you're, you're focused on the actors, you're focused on telling the story, you're focused on moving the camera. A lot of things like guys in orange suits, I, I, uh, I don't notice. But uh, we're on an elephant reserve, so perhaps there was something to do with the elephants. Um, you know, uh, you know, it was a. Uh, I think it was the, the, uh, the, the the bug sounds are much groovier, sort of. Uh, it right, makes it more. It's like, well, that's what um, Michael J. White was uh, sure they were there for. He said he didn't want to know right. anymore. He just knew they were there. And it was, that was all he needed right. to know. It helped his performance, perhaps. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it was, you know, as I say, it was the first week of filming that we went to the jungle. And a lot of the guys were very surprised by the immersive nature of it. You know, they're thick. You know, I had to find this, camp, you know, the, the tiger stripe camouflage, which is a uh, particular style that I like. We had to find, and they, they wore this stuff with full fatigue gear. And it's, it was very, very hot. The, the humidity was off the charts. So these guys were, I mean, it was a brutal, brutal awakening. There was a lot of sweating going on. I mean, they were just drenched within 15 minutes of putting the wardrobe on. But it looks great. You know, that's, that's, you know, that's the nature of it. You don't, you know, you're watching a movie, you know. It's, it looks uh, real. It looks real. You're there. Yeah. yeah. So the experience for you, was it sort of, um, one thing else that Michael Joe picked up on is it, it was a lovely experience with the uh, Thai crew. They all just wanted to do work and they smiled and enjoyed it. Was that as gruelling as it was? Was it a different experience for you shooting there as opposed uh, to elsewhere? It's my third 
third movie in Thailand. You know, uh, second as a director. Third, I did Cutthroat Island with Rennie Harlan as a stuntman. Uh, I directed Fifth Commandment with Rick Yoon in Bangkok. And then this was my, so I knew what to expect going in. Uh, you have a lot of people on a Thai crew. You've got 150 or 200 people on the crew. Uh, you have to be very, very clear with what you want. There's a way of dealing with people in, in foreign locales where you earn their respect and you don't act like the imperialist sort of, you know, uh, dictator coming in and you, you, you throw ideas at them, you know, and you, you, you know, question at them and you, you use their ideas and you make them a part of your team. And I, I love working with them. They're very, very smart. They're, you know, uh, their filmmaking standard is up to, you know, the best of the U S and the best of the UK. And I, I, I had a wonderful time working with them. I found them very creative, uh, very helpful and very imaginative. You know, uh, the production design was, was brilliant for this movie, really, really inspired and, and how they did it in the time and built it for the money. I have no idea. Uh, it was a very, very exciting process working with these guys. There was a moment with, with the AD where I think, you know, it's in the first week, probably in the jungle where, we were looking at a sequence and I, I frankly didn't know quite what to do. And I said, what do you think? And he, 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 he said, well, if I were doing this, remember this is their top AD in Thailand, Charlie Sankwas, he's uh, uh, 70 years old or so. And he said, well, if I were directing, I'd do it this way. And I said, well, that's the way we're going to do it. That's a great idea. And I think from that point on, uh, you have them very much, you know, working with you as friends, you know, and as collaborators, and the key with any crew, not just not just a foreign crew, a Thai crew, is to make them collaborators, to, to make them want to be, you know, involved in the picture. I, I, I prefer it that way, you know. And I hire the very, very best people that I can find to work around me. And in Thailand, it was no different. You know, we, we were very careful about who, whom we hired. I had a great mentorship through Mike Selby, who is the Thai producer, who's actually originally from New Jersey. So uh, he knew everyone, knew who to trust, who not to trust, and was uh was was absolutely key in making the film as good as it is you know well it comes through because it does look fantastic so thank you very much one. Well, well well worth it um most of the films you've done or all the films you've done you've written or been a part of the creating process with triple threat you didn't it was a script that was provided how did you become involved and how did that happen and what did it feel like uh I, it's about 50-50. Some I've, some I've written or co-written and some I've taken on you know, fully original scripts like Accent Man and, and sort of worked in a little bit. But I mean, when you when you start directing, you have to disassociate yourself from, from any kind of ego over who wrote it or who didn't write it. The script is your blueprint. It is, it is, it is where you start from. You all agree to do that. And the actors agree to do that when they're hired on. But then... At each step of the way, you have to question what it is you're doing. You have to look at it very conscientiously and, you know, with your cast. And certain things may not work as they had originally been intended to work. So you have to be ready to look at that and change it. But you also have to have the smarts to know when not to change anything because it was perfect as written. So it's a, it's an, it's a case of adjudication as you go through uh, uh, and, and it can't be ego-based. It has to be very, very practical pragmatism based it has to be based upon what's going to be best for the picture what you have in terms of money you know you may get to a point in the schedule where you know 400 extras are called for and you've you know for some reason your producer has run out of money and you've got you've got three extras that day so you have to work out 
you know, it's going to require a little rewriting to make that work, you know. And that's a very obvious and silly example, but that's the kind of thing you're sort of dealing with, uh, especially on films that aren't quite as huge a budget as, as you know, the next Marvel film where, you, you know, everything's, everything's you know, c- can be laid out. But even on those ones, it usually isn't. But on, on, on Triple Threat, we, we had to be ready to sort of freestyle like a jazz musician every day. You know, I would work on the script, the shot list at night, the night before. Uh, we'd get to set, I'd get to set early. I'd walk it with, the, you know, the keys. And we, we, you know, based on the location and what we're doing, we, we would continuously be inventing right to the last minute. And uh, I think that's a super exciting way of making a movie. That's really, really fun. Uh, it's nerve wracking. And you, you, as I said before, you require really, really good people around you, very creative people. Uh, but on this one, it was absolutely 100% necessary because, as I say, no writer would know the idiosyncrasies of our six leads, seven leads, if you include uh, Selena, without actually having met them. And, and we didn't have those actors when we got the script initially so it was all it had by by nature by virtue of what it was the project it had to be continuously evolving uh, i think where i have to say that selena jade was phenomenal with her character she she was she basically wrote all of the dialogue that she, you hear say in the movie or rewrote it took it and worked it and she'd come to me in the morning and say i was having a little think about this i've, I've got some notes here have a look at these and i say yeah that's perfect that's much better than we have we're going to go with that and and that was that was very much how how that worked with her uh, so you know uh scott did that as well uh we brought in sue small to redo his as i say you just choose the very very best collaborators you know and yeah. and swing as hard as you can and just keep focusing on everything as you go along and trying to make it as good as possible so do you not do you not have a sort of it uh, storyboarded all the way through? You just working from a script your night before thing, and no, just worked that, it that's true. It's true and it's not true. I I don't I don't storyboard anything other than very very key action and visual effects stuff. That's it's too limiting and it's not for me. Uh, I shot list the whole movie, which means describing the shots, sometimes drawing overheads. Uh, and so the whole movie is shot listed in pre-production. It's, it's an 80-page book, which is photocopied and given to everyone on the set. Everyone who gets a script gets a shot list afterwards. So, you know, the AD then breaks the shot list down into schedule or shot list is going to be in what we're going to attempt to get that day. At that point, I take that, and then the night before, while we're working, we're working, working, there'll be a definitive list which is distributed in the morning of the shoot day, which usually is not that different, but some days it's very, very different uh, based on how fast we're going, what ha- what happened to that character, where the development's gone, what I know we can get, what might not be possible, you know, you know, last minute thoughts. So it's, it's pretty organized, but it allows you the freedom to improvise in a way that is, you know, understandable and people get it, you know, uh, on this one, I kept adding shots. So they, they had a nickname for me on the Thai crew, which they didn't tell me till about midway through. He would, well, at the end of every day, he would say a word, which was quite, you know, which would cause the Thai crew to, but, you know, towards the end of the day, which would cause the Thai crew to laugh. And it was, it was, when I asked him, it's, it was bean sprout, meaning that I kept coming up with bean sprout ideas at the end of the day, which would make the rap time just a little bit later. So he, it was, he was using humor to keep the crew in good spirits about having to go for another half an hour or 40 minutes. Which which I appreciate and I get, so I, I encourage that. You know, bean uh, sprouts are good to eat and they're healthy. And who doesn't eat enjoy good bean sprouts? So. Ex- 
exactly uh they have a great sense of humor over there and it's it's it is really fun working with them you know one thing i think about watching it um is that it sidesteps the usual goodies and baddies and the, and the racial stereotypes because it's set in it a very southeast asian somewhere town and the story is very much centered around southeast asia and what's happening there um and the, without sort of giving too much away that the buddies may not be the goodies and the goodies may not be the... You're not quite sure who's who until things begin to settle down. Um, was that a sort of intentional idea, just to slightly sort of change and upend the uh, the expectations of that sort of Hitman Abroad type film? The status quo. Yeah, yes. I think so. I, I, I think that's what we were trying to do. I mean, it's... Honestly, I, I, I hadn't really thought too much about that. I was just trying to find the coolest story possible out of that and and i've got to tell you honestly you know a lot of people have said oh it's great that you've got the asians playing the good guys and the westerners playing the bad guys but none of that really ever none of that really ever triggers you, you have to go into these things without thinking about stereo right race or stereotypes or any of that sort of whole shit it's not storytelling and storytelling stories you know story works or it doesn't work you know uh you know, I, I, I suppose if you're dealing with something set in the deep south, then it's it's a it's a fundamentally avoidable sort of part of your storytelling process. But making an action movie, it shouldn't it shouldn't have to rely on that. It's you know, the good guys are the good guys. They're as written, and they're cool cats, and bad guys are the you know, they don't think that they're bad guys. They think they're doing good. You know, their heart. They think they're they're doing a, a job and doing it well. They've just become so disassociated with using their moral code that they're a bit turned upside down you know that's how i like to think of them you know in their heart of hearts they're just doing a solid professional job but i mean we we had jeez jar in amongst the bad guys so we had one asian bad guy amongst them you know uh but i I think as storytellers and that's all we are we're creating rounded characters you know people that you know whether you root for the bad guys here good guys there that's the most important thing isn't it yes also, the, the, both of the, the women characters were both, well, all the women characters were very strong and well-drawn, and they weren't just bit part players, they were part of the the action process. It was a good thing. I was, was. Yeah, I got I got two daughters, they'll kick my ass if I, if I do any, you know, uh, terrible stereotyping there, so you have, they have to be strong, and they're, they're strong in my world anyway, I, I think, uh, I think it's unavoidable. And it's good, and it's a good thing. You have swords up on your bookshelf. I've got swords on my, my bookshelf too. <laughs> Those ones are Austrian, and, and then there's a collection of Fairbairn sight staggers. Oh, over. very nice. And uh, black powder pistols and fighting knives and old, old stuff. Cool. You can't go wrong. No, no. With that sort of stuff. There's always one, one they're fun to play with, and there's a story behind them, and it's history, it's proper history. <laughs> The big silver-handled one up there's the one that stabbed Vladimir Kuch and Sammy Shog that went straight through him, you know? I don't know if you saw that one, did you? No, uh, that was That was a film I did with Scott Atkins. It was the uh, first one that sort of swung me back after the beautiful ones. How, how long was the triple threat in the pipeline before it got greenlit? And- I don't know. I don't know about that one. I believe the script was around a little... Uh, or, the, or the idea... Of putting uh, and it's Tiger's idea, uh, he was the sort of uh, brains behind all of this. You know, pulling Eco, Tony Jar, and himself together. So he had a couple of scripts that they'd been trying to sort of formulate into a film. I believe 
you know, he, he, he was a stuntman before he was an actor. I'd worked with him on Charlie's Angels, and he had brought in Chad Stahowski to potentially direct. Uh, I don't think they could agree on a script. Uh, I'm not sure what, what happened. But anyway, they, uh, Arclight, who hired me, came on board, and, and I think there was a uh, or, you know, a sunset on this whole deal. They were going to lose it if they didn't shoot before a certain date. So from calling me to actually arriving in Bangkok, and it, it, was, it was only a matter of weeks from my first call to, to sort of discuss this, to go in and meet with Joey O'Brien, uh, throw him some ideas for the initial script and what we were taking from the others, and you know, my traveling to Thailand, you know, I traveled before the script was completely finished and uh, I was on a plane there meeting the local crew and sort of scouting and, and pulling it apart. You know, uh, it was very, very, very quick turnaround. I, I came, in fact, I flew directly from uh, London where I've been shooting Accident Man to Bangkok. So you hit the ground running. I did. I did. I think we, we had a location scout the day after I landed. <laughs> Which is how I like to be, by the way. This is this is that's living for me. You know, making movies is is the most exciting job in the world. It, it, you know, to direct them is the most incredible honor and the most wonderful, wonderful sort of uh, blessing. You just don't screw it up. You put every ounce of yourself into it because it's, you know, a lot of people desperately want to do that. And and if you if you take it for granted, it shows in the end product. You have to commit yourself, you know, body and soul. Uh, you know, from the moment you start pre-production through to wrap. Once you've wrapped, you can draw back a little bit and you can start to rebuild your energy and your reserves and you watch other movies and kind of sleep in late and all that kind of stuff. But but certainly if you're in if you're in pre-production or shooting, then your heart and soul, your body, every part of you, your the, the fabric and fiber of your being is owned by that production. And certainly how it is for me. And I think if you'll talk to any other director of of any sort of self-respect, that's that's how it is, you know. If you enter it half-assed, the film will be half-assed. They they don't make themselves. They really don't. You know, uh, I think I think you have to continuously be sort of on your toes, thinking almost like a little bit of a gunfighter. You know, because the 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 potential threats to that movie come very very fast in every direction, and it's mainly about sort of avoiding those and just steering 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 this this great sort of juggernaut through all of those potential risks. You know, do you think everyone else stepped into that same Frightened uh, mind space in that same way. Like it, it felt like I had a lot of really, really, you know, good collaborators. Brian Pitt, who was, you know, who was one of the American producers who came out fantastic. My VP Jonathan Hall is is just phenomenal. I mean, there were there was, you know, I saw him lugging lights and cables, and you know, when he couldn't quite make himself understood in Thai, and he was getting tired at the end of the day, he just picked things up and moving himself. And we were very much, we had a lot of discussions on this one about how to shoot it. You know, when you're faced with trying to capture, as I say, nine of the greatest dancers in the world at the moment, and you're you're making this great musical number, the, the most important thing you can do is is not not move the camera phonetically to a point where it distracts from what's going on on the screen. That would be sacrilege. You keep the camera movement very very uh, stately, very very uh, calm. And you let what's going on in front of the action, you know, uh, in front of the lens be the motivator, you know. Uh, you move slowly in or out or, or you know, it's lovely, you know, gentle movements. But everything you're seeing is is so dynamic and so powerful. That's what that's, you know, it speaks for itself. And if you try and amplify that, you'll actually take away from the process, you know. Uh, you know, when, when we've all worked on second units, every one of us, 
on, on, on you know, you know, the 150 crew have all been involved in it. And, and you know, when you're working with a martial artist or an actor who can't do their own martial arts, who can't move very quickly, who isn't as physically skilled, that's when you move the camera quickly. That's when you cut very quickly. That's when you, uh, you use lenses to cheat, to slide a hand like a magician playing cards. Th those are the things you do when you have someone who can't perform. When you have performers who can and who are the very height of their game they're the equivalent of an olympic a gold medalist olympic athlete when they're at that that level you know you draw back and you just let them do the hard work you let them do the heavy lifting and you make sure you capture it and if you don't capture it baby then you're you're, you're you should really consider doing something else so that that's that was the that was the sort of onus that john and i talked about how do we make this film you know work and successful and and really, really, you know, really sing. Yeah. I think that it does come across as very, very sort of the beginning of the very cinematic uh, scale and the way it's presented. And I think that it comes down to your not moving it phonetically and letting the action speak for itself. I think that, that comes across in spades. So, nice one. And one of the things that uh, the previous interview with Scott um, uh, talked about, and I think you've talked about as well, is piracy um, and that how it's been hurting, particularly this end of the market, the action end of the market, what do you think, do you, what do you think is being done and can be done at the moment to sort of prevent it? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Just, we've got to sort of make it known to the fans of this genre that they shouldn't illegally download and, and I don't know how you reach them and how you hammer it into them, you know, that they, that every time they do that, they're damaging the very heroes, the very, you know, the, they they're, they're religious cult idol Boyka is not going to be able to make any more Boyka movies because the Boyka movies keep getting downloaded for free, you know? And, you know, I, I bring that title up. It's a friend of mine, Isaac Quarantine, who directed it, but they, they just brutalize it. It's, you know, the, the 1.9 million viewers watch it as an illegal with 14 of them paying to watch it. And it's just terrible. You know, you've destroyed, you've destroyed the very, Golden Idol that you that you that you you're, you're so protective of, you know, uh, and it, it defies rational explanation. You know, I, I don't watch downloadable movies. I don't rip, rip films or pirate them. I mean, why, why should they? I don't I don't get it. They're not expensive. You know, you know, watch it on Netflix. Pay a couple of bucks. Buy the DVD if you don't have access to. It. Go on eBay and order them. That's 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 about the only thing. And then this, the second part is we got to make movies that deserve be seen in the cinema and that are fantastic and that are well shot and have a cinematic grandeur to them and that the audience feels they've got their $15, $20 worth, you know, per ticket. It's expensive to buy a ticket now. It's expensive to buy the popcorn when you go to the theatre. You don't want to go and see some dodgy old badly shot, badly acted movie. And they, and, and, and unfortunately, there's too many of them like that. And so you, you stop wanting to go to the movie theatre because the last one you went to see was Sank. So if we can make these films better and cooler and grandiose and worthy of being shown in the theatre, people will come and see them, you know. Uh, I got bored of seeing action movies in the theatre because they all looked identical, you know. Fight scenes all look the same and, and I felt, I felt, you know, the characters clearly couldn't do the martial arts, you know, they obscurely, suddenly during the fight scene, the camera would go to the back of the head so that, you know, they could put the stunt double in and I got bored of that. I don't want to, I don't, you know. So, uh, I think the onus is on the, or the responsibility is on us as filmmakers as well to try and make these films as exciting as possible. And I think what 
Arclight did with this and, and Tiger and, and the original creative producers by combining all these guys and putting them in one package. It's a hell of a, you know, it's a hell of a thing, you know. When I did my research for this one, when I was thinking about how to cover characters, I watched The Dirty Dozen, The Magnificent Seven, yeah. uh, The Seven Samurai. I, I watched these ensemble movies that I grew up loving. The Great, you know, The Great Escape, these pictures that they did in the 60s, 70s, 50s. And it's like, holy God, these are cool, man. The professionals, you know, these are really, really awesome films. And so... It didn't take many to suddenly realize, you know what, this is a this is an absolutely valid, valid genre for the action film, you know, to have an ensemble. People keep saying Expendables. This guy's Expendables is not a great movie. Let's go back another another 20 years, and there you've got fucking great movies that were ensemble action pieces. There's a behind-the-scenes for The Dirty Dozen, which is hilarious. You can see it on YouTube, but it was, you know, that was, it was at, whilst I was doing my research, I realized that was actually very close to what we had in Bangkok was a, Action, action men abroad, but the uh, the you know the, those are the films that I I was looking back to, and those are films that stood up as cinematic pieces. You'd want to go see those on the big screen. You didn't want to see the Magnificent Seven on on TV. You wanted to see it on the big screen if you could. Same with the Great Escape. You know, the, you know these, these were big, powerful movies that and they big still characters, stand up. and they still stand up a hundred percent. Great, great, great scores. Well written, and uh, you know, uh, I, I think I think so. That's the second part: is we have to make films that warrant being, you know, an audience and force people to go because they, they want to see them that way. You know, even the laziest ones. So, so, so taking that point on as a sort of come to a close, almost um, is the film's going to be a success. Following on from that, do you feel that there might be a triple threat too? I'm, I'm touching wood. Yes, don't worry. And uh, I, I, so, I, I, is there going to be a triple threat two if all goes well? I would love that to be a triple threat two, and they could count me in in a, in a New York minute. I'd be involved in that because uh, I, I I just love working with this team, and I think uh, we could do the same thing again. Uh, we could bring in you know another another group of really really good antagonists and make something very very special. I think it would be good to have a couple more female fighters in there. I think it would be good to have a couple more nations in there. You know, uh, I think there's some you know. I think there's something you could really do there. So there's been a little discussion on it. I haven't heard much, but you'll be the first to know. Well, I look forward to it. That'd be fantastic if there was. And and, and um, maybe a bit of reincarnating going on. And in that same vein, as a sort of final wrap-up question, is is where did uh, Scott, when he was um, incarcerated and pulled out, he had a lovely hairpiece on? Where did that come from? And and um, was it found in the jungle? The hairpiece itself, yeah. I, th- I think I think it was shot that morning. It was still warm, and, and or it might still have been breathing. Even I'm not sure, but, uh, but yeah, it was a it face was a tricky... just turned round. Yeah, it's 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 tricky with wigs because obviously they have a particular kind of wig. You know, demand for a certain kind of hair type, and and you know, less demand for for our Western hair as a wig over there. But, uh... it, it was convincing enough, but it did make me think. Mm. And it also had a slight sort of tongue-in-cheek quality to it. I thought might sort of add, yeah, added to it for me anyway. I know I liked it. So I, I, th- I think I hadn't seen the wig before that morning. Uh, and as Michael Jai White so so uh, uh, interestingly noted, it you know it was a lot of coverage that we had to do every day in that sequence particularly. And I think by the time. He was ready and make up and came to set. It was too late to make any 
changes, it would have been too late to take the wig off because they're pinned on, they take a long time. And I think uh, at that point, it was like, okay, let's commit to it, let's do it, let's let's make this work. And Scott does, he, he, he owns it, you know. Yeah, he did. He just looked like he'd been in the cellar, for, like he had been in, the, in, in there for a while and uh, I had a chance to play with a comb. Um, is there anything else you'd like to tell us about Triple Threat that are any sort of questions I haven't asked that we'd like to air? I, I really, really encourage people to see it on the big screen, if at all possible. I think that's the way to see this picture. Uh, it's the way to enjoy it, the way to see these guys doing what they do so well. And as I say, you won't get the chance to see these guys in a film together again. Uh, and they are, they do represent the best in movie kickers out there at the moment. You could say Jet Li, you could say Donnie Yen. Donnie Yen's pretty much retired from action, and, and, and Jet Li, you know, was fantastic in his prime. But these guys are in their prime. They're, you know, it's, it's, it's going, you're going to be hard pressed to repeat this again. Get out to the theatre, sit on the big screen, and, uh, and support, support your local movie theatre. You know? Cool. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. And when you're over in the UK, hopefully see you then. And if not for a coffee, maybe a beer. Sounds, sounds like an excellent plan, and thank you very much for your very smart questions. Well, thank you for your brilliant answers. And thank you for making the film. Thank you. Oh, i do it again. All right. Please, boss. Take care. And you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.